If you have been on track for, with us for a while, we are on a 10-year journey towards spiritual maturity. And we have just finished the second trimester of the first year. And in the second trimester, we talked about spiritual warfare. That is, how to defend yourself from the onslaughts of Satan. Now, for all of you football fans, this is the time when we switch from defense to offense. We are going to begin now in the journey. Do any of us know where we will end up? No, the Father hasn't told us yet. We are going to need to forego, if we're going to stay on this journey, our need for immediate gratification, or even for on-site progress from week to week. Yet, it is what God calls us to. If you would turn to the Gospel of Matthew, the 19th chapter, let us begin to realize why God is calling us to such a profound and important adventure. Starting with verse 16, And behold, one came to him and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? Now remember that word, obtain. He said to him, Why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good. Obviously referring to God, obviously asking this person to recognize that he is God. But if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, well, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not commit murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, all these things I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said, If you wish to be complete. Now, very important word. As a matter of fact, so important that we're going to spend ten years discovering what this word means. Complete, in the Greek, is teleos. It means mature, perfect, made into what you were created for, fulfilled. If you would be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieved, for he was one who owned much property. The first thing that we need to realize when we come to choosing to go on an adventure is that it will cost us that which we desire most, that which we have known as our security, our usual modus operandi. Most people, especially in America, come to Christianity as a wonderful addition to their life. This will make my life even better if I can not only live in this world beyond the grips of constant sin, if I can not only live in this world but also live in the next, then I'll have everything I'm looking for. Isn't Christianity a wonderful addition? What must I do, what must I trade in my life in order to have it? How can I possess it, obtain it? 
never dreaming at first that the faith is not something that you possess. It's something that possesses you. Never in fathoming that truth. Especially when you come from a culture that has bought every form of security that we can buy. You realize that in the history of the world, you could say that the 17th century was the century for um, purpose. The Reformation took place in the 17th century. Wonderful developments in the world when we broke away from a mechanical way of thinking and said, what does God really want for his kingdom to come here? The 18th century was a century of reason. We stopped and thought, now how does all of this fit together? How does all of this make sense? Let's consolidate it into a make-sense philosophy. The 19th century was a century of economic thinking. That's when Marx wrote uh, his philosophy of history that says the entire historical venue is one of economics. And people bought it. At the same time, capitalism was developing. And Adam Smith was saying, no, it was one of capitalism. And people bought it. You see, we began to believe that the world was about money. It was about economics. And then we slipped into the 20th century, the century of security. If it's all about money, how can we be most secure? You know, that's what communism was all about. That's also what capitalism is about. If we can get enough money, then we can get secure. And so we become very much like the rich young ruler who has everything going for him and wants to know what it will cost for that thing called eternal life. What are, what are the things of eternity? How much are they going to cost us? What do we trade for them? We want that in our packet too. We become like Simon the magician in Acts chapter 8. When he saw the power of the Holy Spirit, he says, Psh, <laughs> just tell me how much that is. And Peter looked at him and said, oh, you can't buy this can't buy it? Listen. Christianity is not an addition. And when we think of Christianity as an addition, this is what happens. It happens ever so slowly. We don't even recognize it. But we, get, we begin to enter thinking, I tell you what, Christianity is good behavior. And it's acting like this. And it's doing this. And then if I do this, God will do this. And we accumulate a lot of the faith. But we lose, watch this, as we accumulate that faith, faith, as we make those additions to our life, inertia sets in and emptiness sets in. In Christianity, you accumulate only emptiness when you accumulate the world's ways and what the world has. There was a story one time, parable, about Fast Eddie. Fast Eddie was the fastest kid in the neighborhood. He seldom wore anything except tennis shoes and shorts in the summertime because he ran everywhere he went. He could outrace any kid. He could run circles around any adult. Well, the seasons began to change and somebody gave Fast Eddie a wonderful present it was a coat. Now, when I was growing up, everybody had 
Air Force jackets, Army surplus jackets. And the wonderful thing about those jackets were they had pockets all over the place. They had zippers. I mean, they, you could, you could, you could find, they had pockets on the sleeves. They had pockets on the side. They had pockets on the inside. Well, that was the kind of coat this was, only it was full length. It was a trench coat for Fast Eddie. It had all kinds of pockets everywhere, wonderful pockets, big pockets, small pockets. Fast Eddie thought that was the neatest thing in the whole world. He could open it up and still run fast, and it flew behind him. And one day, as he was going out, he thought to himself, you know, if I go out to play and I take my lunch with me, then I won't have to come back in. So he put milk in a pocket, and he put a sandwich in another pocket, and he put potato chips in another pocket. And he said, you know what else? If I take along my alarm clock, I can get back right when mom says to get back and she won't have to yell at me like she usually does. And she put an alarm clock in this pocket over here. And then he went out. And he was a little bit slower because of the weight. But he began to notice wonderful things around the neighborhood that were lost that he'd never noticed before. And he began to decide he could keep them. And he picked up a magnifying glass. Ooh, what fun it is to have a magnifying glass. You can burn leaves. You can burn your sister. You can, you can burn anything. And so he put it in his pocket. And he went through the rest of the neighborhood looking for things. And he started to put all kinds of wonderful things in his pocket. He even found... Listen, wouldn't this be fascinating? He even found a used, broken... Small television set. He even had a pocket that was big enough to put that television set into. For weeks, he accumulated goods. They stopped calling him Fast Eddie. They began to call him Pockets. And Pockets would drag along looking for things to accumulate. Finally, he had accumulated so much stuff, he couldn't even move. That is the church. When the church started out, the church had a vision for Christ. But along the way, we've accumulated so much, thinking that we needed all this, we'd save it up for later. And now, we stand fully equipped Unable to move. And there still is a sense, isn't there, that we lack something. What am I still lacking is not a question that is not our own. We go to Jesus. Jesus, I've done everything I know how, but I just feel like there's something still missing. I've accumulated a great deal of emptiness. You know what? There was a day, now listen to this, when believers did not count physical life as the most important thing in the world. Can you imagine? Look at Esther. Esther was the second most powerful person in her kingdom. Esther was a Jew. And she decided to go to her husband, who was the king, and to stand up for the Jewish people. And when she knew of the danger of that move, she said this. You can read it for yourself. Fourth chapter of Esther. 
If I perish, I perish. It was that simple. You know what I hear Christians talking about more today than anything else? Polyunsaturated fats. Cholesterol counts. Trying desperately to elongate their physical being a few more months. It's pitiful. What happened? We took a wonderful adventure that may cost us our life and we shrunk it down to fit us. The problem is it's too small for God anymore. It's even too small for us. Because we're still saying, what do I still lack? There was a day when people talked about what it cost to follow Christ, when they talked about the vision, about what they would become one day. You know the top theological issue today. Eternal security. Tell me I'm still saved. Can I lose my salvation? Because if I lose my salvation, then I'm going to be real worried. And people put on these long faces, see? And they think this out for hours. It is a valid theological issue. The problem is it crowds out conversation about what God would have us be. What happened? How did we become, as the saying goes, keepers of the aquarium instead of the fishers of men? How did that happen? How was it that all of a sudden, instead of uniting and having an onslaught against the territories of Satan, now the churches divide and protect their own little group. Protect their group of people whom they call sheep. I hate that term. We're not an agrarian society anymore. I don't know why we keep using that term. Sheep. You know what? There was a, there was a moment in history when the people of God had no idea where they were going. They just knew that God promised them someplace in the future, someplace to live. And so they struck out for it, having no idea even how to get there, and they only knew when they got there that somehow they'd take it and they'd live in that land. So what are the believers doing in the promised land these days? We're griping about our property taxes. Pitiful. What happened? We shrunk the faith down to where it fit us. It was too small. Too small for us even. Let alone for God. There was a time. There was a time when Christians would stand in an arena full of lions and be killed by those lions rather than deny their faith for the sake of their own comfort. They would orphan their children in order to show their children what it may cost to be a Christian. You know what we hear these days? Johnny and Susie don't like Sunday school. It's boring. I can't get them here. So I just left them home. We orphan our children from the faith. 
before our comfort. What happened? What do I still lack? Whatever gave us the idea that Christianity was not something that would change our life so evidently that everybody around us would notice. Where did we ever get the brand of Christianity? Where we can just slip our hands up and slip out, make a decision in our pew, but no one ever needs to be disturbed about it, let alone us. You don't read that in Scripture. Salvation is a wonderful, dynamic tension that whips us around all of our life. We're on the ride of our life in Scripture. Where did that come from? Has the sword become a party toothpick? Where did that come from? Where did we get that idea? You mentioned Christianity to the world, and what is the immediate picture they have? It's of some slick televangelist who sports a Rolex and drives a Rolex. Now, I've got to admit to you that I am frustrated with that also. I don't know why Christian leaders don't have the consecrated common sense to live modestly instead of lavishly. It's wrong. I don't know how we got from the time when disciples couldn't even carry a purse to the time when we were driving a $60,000 car. I don't know how we got there. But I tell you what frustrates me even more. What frustrates me even more is that Christianity has given the world no more potent picture. Nothing more solid or more important or more powerful than a television evangelist. That's pitiful. That is awful. It's not their fault. It's ours. What do I still lack? You know, there's a country in the world who is so hungry for God that they're asking practically every Christian that moves how to get to Him. You know what that country is? Russia. Russia is that country. How is it that there is more hunger to know about God from unbelievers than there is to follow Him from those who say they believe. How is that? And how is it that the only limitation in that country does not come from the government, but comes from the Russian Orthodox Church, who is very afraid of losing power? How is that? It is that we have accumulated Christianity and shrunk it down to fit ourselves until it's no longer big enough for God or freedom. Is life so dear, Patrick Henry said, or peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains? We have, we have accumulated Christianity. And I hear Christians constantly, we live in the most magnificent time of history. The changes that are going on are mind-boggling, and this is what I hear Christians say. This, this, this cliche that drives me crazy. Well, we don't know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future. Which is French for, I am so passive, you've got to roll me over on the couch so I can watch CNN. That's what that's for. Look, there was a time 
when Christians did not know what was going on in the future, but they were determined to influence the Christian, the, 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 the world, because the world was going to be different because they lived. There was a time. The time can be now. But we've got to put things on the table. We've got to have a burden for the future that is more potent than the worries of the present. We've got to care more for what God could be doing through our lives than we care for what Satan might be doing to our lives. There was a a wonderful, wonderful classic written, The Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan. Let me just read to you a little passage at the beginning of this. There's a, there's a, a Christian who um, has this horrendous burden. And he knows that the only one who can adjust that per- burden is the Lord. At least that's what he's been told by this man named Evangelist. And so he starts a journey to go. Christian, a man appeared to me to be a very great and honorable person. His name, I remember, is Evangelist. And the world says to him, Look, I don't like his counsel. There's not a more dangerous and troublesome way in the world than that which he showed you. You're likely to meet with weariness and painfulness and hunger and perils and sword and darkness and and death. Christian says, Sir, this burden on my back is more terrible to me than all those things which you mentioned. The world says... How did you come by that burden, anyhow? And Christian says, by reading this book. And the world says, yeah, I thought so. It's happened to you like other men who meddling with things too high for them do suddenly fall into distractions and then they go on desperate ventures to obtain they know not what. And Christian says, I do know what I would obtain. It is ease for this burden. There is a part of us, I've heard it, that feels like God made us for something and we don't know what it is, but we've got to find out what it is or we're going to miss something central in our lives. We haven't gotten there yet because there's too much to do here. Maturity begins with two, two things. First of all, it begins with subtraction. Not addition. Subtraction. Rich young ruler went to him, said, what do I do? And he said, well, for you, for you, you sell your stuff and give it to the poor. Come follow me. Does that mean that every Christian immediately goes out and sells their stuff? Yeah. If God tells them to. What it really means is you put every form of security on the table. You're not hiding anything in your lap. It's all on the table. Your house is on the table. Cars on the table. Your friendships are on the table. Your beliefs are on the table. Everything's on the table. And anything God needs to get you on that journey, that's what you put up. It's that simple. That's scary, isn't it? You say, we could die if we... If we pay that much, you're dying anyhow. 
Aren't you? Aren't all of us? What do we got? 40, 50 years left, most of us? 10, 20, some of us? A week? What do we got? You're dying anyhow. There was a, there was a poem in World War II. I love this poem. Some men die by shrapnel. Some go down in flames. But most men perish inch by inch by playing little games. That's what the church is right now. We just die inch by inch playing little games. I don't want to die like that. I don't want to die like that. I want my life to count for more than trying to save it. There's got to be subtraction. And you know what else there's got to be? I'll end with this. Elasticity. Elasticity. We cannot be so firm in our own way or our own desires. We've got to make plans, but we've got to let God order our steps. And we cannot do this thing under our own power. We've got to hook up with God. There's an old joke. I love this old joke. You've probably all heard it, but permit me the pleasure of telling it again. Because it illustrates the, the point quite nicely. It has a little exaggeration in it, but play along with me here. Small southern town. One stoplight. Tater Wilson is sitting there by the side of the road on his moped, waiting for that stoplight to change. And up beside Tater Wilson pulls the most beautiful, sparkling red Ferrari you've ever seen in your life. Mm. Tater looks over, starts slobbering all over himself. He leans over near this guy's window, and the guy looks at Tater. He's looking at, he's, he's watching him watch his car, and he presses a button, and the window goes down. And Tater looks at him and says, Mister, this is the finest car I've ever seen in my life. What kind of car is this? The man says, This is a Ferrari. Tater says, how fast will this car go? And the man says, 140, 180, maybe 200 miles an hour. 200 miles an hour? He says, Mister, if you ever want to get rid of this car, you remember old Tater Wilson? Just then, the light switched from red to green. And the driver thought, I'm going to show this guy what this car will do. And he popped that clutch. He looked at the speedometer. He was already going 80, 100 miles an hour. He looked in his rearview mirror. Here come Tater Wilson on his moped, gaining on him. He was going 100 miles an hour. Tater was gaining on him. He watched him in that rearview mirror, and Tater zoomed by the right side of that car, clear up 50 feet in front of him. He looked out his windshield. Here comes Tater again. Zoom past him. He looked at his speedometer. He's going 160 miles an hour. He looks in his rearview mirror. Here comes Tater again. Gaining on him. This time, he's headed right for the trunk. Tater crashes into that trunk. The man stops the car. Gets out. Runs around. Looks at him. Says, Tater, I'm so sorry. Is there anything I can do for you? Tater looks up and says, uh, yeah, you want to unhook my suspenders from your rearview mirror?
You don't have to have power. You just have to have elasticity. <laughs> We're just going to be looking for people who have on spiritual suspenders who are saying, Holy Spirit, wherever you're going, I want to go. I don't care how fast. I don't care how slow. I don't care how much it costs. I just want to go where you're going. Pray with me. Lord God, thank you for the frustration of not letting us have peace with our brand of Christianity. It's not worth the church that it hides in. Thank you that you will not let us rest until we have set ourselves toward you and with you, by you. Lord, let those of us today who want to go on that great adventure, no matter what it costs, stick out our suspenders. And you take off. And watch us, because we're going to be right alongside. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.